Let me, uh, let me say two other things here. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to preach eventually, but I need to tell you two other things. One deals with, uh, uh, with yesterday. Steve Grossman did a, a seminar yesterday morning and the, the seminar the way it's presented and the way it's advertised it sounds like it's for people in the arts or for people who want to go into the arts and it is but margaret came to it my wife came to it yesterday and she came home with a, with a, with an interesting take on it she said you know that was really good and really it's not it's about finding out who you are in life and what you really want it'd be great for any any teenager, it'd be great for anybody just going to college or anybody just, just heading out into life to take that. So the next time Steve does one of these things, if you know somebody like that or if you are somebody like that, uh, you don't have to necessarily want to go into the arts. This would be a good thing for you. It's, a, it, 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 it's, it's very good. You might want to consider changing the name of it, Steve. I don't know. We'll see. Um, and then one other thing, because some of you may be wondering about the fact that we had an almost four-year-old baptized today. And you may go, an almost four-year-old doesn't know what they're doing. And in some ways, you would be right. In some ways, you would be wrong. Because Jesus made it very clear that you have to become like a child to enter the kingdom. And quite, quite frankly, children are, by and large, a lot more sensitive spiritually than the big people who lead them around most of the time. I mean, you know, they may not know all the social graces, but they spiritually are, tend to be very sensitive. But here's the other thing, because I was, I was baptized at a very young age, and then I also got baptized later on as an adult when I was making that commitment to the Lord. When you are baptized, there's two things going on there. You're not just making a commitment to God. God is making a commitment to you. And even if, you know, you're... Th- three years old and you don't necessarily understand all the things about life that you're going to understand in another 20 years or another 30 years god understands everything about life and he that covenant that commitment takes place there so we don't put an age limit on on when when people can be baptized you know because very honestly we got 40 year olds who don't know what it's about and we got four-year-olds who do. So we, we, we just let God and let the Holy Spirit take care of that. So just in case any of you wanted to know that, I didn't bring my clicker. Isaac, you want to bring my clicker up here? <laughs> Thank you. Would you stand with me? We're going to talk about the coming kingdom. And we're going to read one of my very favorite passages in all of Scripture. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight, and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them. 
or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, but dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises that are in your word. And I thank you, Lord God, that these promises can, cannot fall away into nothingness. They will accomplish what you send them out to do. The things that you are saying here are things that will happen. I pray, Father, that you'd make the reality of that real to us through the Holy Spirit today in Jesus' name. Amen. And before you sit down, turn to somebody and go, I can't hardly wait. Okay, it doesn't take that long to say I can't hardly wait, and we're not talking about lunch, right? Maybe I needed to clarify that a little more. This is Advent 2, and last week I I pointed out the fact that, that Advent looks both to the past and to the future, and last week we looked. Uh, to the past and the present, actually. Uh, We looked to the message, and we discovered that the message that we've been entrusted with, Walmart hasn't been entrusted with it, Target hasn't been entrusted with it, the government hasn't been entrusted with it. The message we've been entrusted with is good news. It brings great joy, and it is for all people. And everybody on the first three rows learned that last week. Last week I pointed out that uh, many are more excited about $2.97 a gallon gas than they are about the incarnation of God into to this world. And, you know, a lot of you fell into the trap that I set and you walked into. To... This week I got several photographs from people of gas pumps and them pumping gas at $2.97 a gallon. They were quite excited. They said, see, we were listening to your sermon. (laughs) And I'm kind of thinking, okay, where are the pictures of you inviting people to come? That was the sermon. That's what that was about. You got good news, you tell people about about what's going on. Uh, this week we're going to be looking forward to his coming. And I would suggest, I won't try to set a trap for this, but I would suggest that there are many of us who are more interested in the 2012 presidential election than we are in the coming of Christ Jesus, the King. If you judge by how much time we spend thinking about and dealing with the subject, Spiritual, impl- I mean, is it just me or have there already been like 38 debates, presidential debates that have taken place? You know, and, you, and, and each day you kind of gauge who's, 
who's, who's up, who's down. This, this is the most popular this candidate has been in two weeks. Wow. This is 2012 we're talking about, people. Late 2012. The spiritual implications aside, have our lives really become so, so shallow that, that, that we just have to have this morbid curiosity about who got voted off the island this week, every week? Some people go, well, you know, that's going to be, that's going to happen. And it's going to happen next November. Jesus' return is going to happen. And it could happen a long time before next November. We, we really don't know. But he really is coming. We're in the waiting period right now. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Consider the first time that he came and the waiting period that was involved in that. For some people, and I'm one of those people, Genesis 3.15 is the first mention of Messiah in all of Scripture. Uh, if you're not familiar with Genesis chapter 3, it's where the fall took place. The serpent comes in, deceives Eve, and, and Adam and Eve fall, and God comes and says, Adam, where are you? I'm hiding over here. Why are you hiding? I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? You know, if that's all you've ever been, somebody's got to tell you this is not the normal way of things. And, uh, and God finally is speaking to the serpent and says to him, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. I think that was about Messiah. I'm, I'm quite sure that it was. Because Messiah was born of the seed of woman and he had his heel struck by the serpent, but he crushed the serpent's head. If that was the first reference to Messiah, then by the time he actually came, at the very least it had been 4,000 years. 4,000 years. And people were just as impatient. Well, they were almost as impatient, but they were impatient in those days for sure. In fact, Adam and Eve, when Cain came along, they thought he was the one. Cain literally means, I have got a man. And it was, it was Eve's cry that this, this is it. This is the one who's going to crush the serpent's head. All right. No. He didn't crush the serpent's head. He crushed his brother's head. That's what tends to happen of our own fleshly plans, our own earthly plans that we come up with. For sure, Messiah was in focus by the time of Moses. Over in Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19, the Lord speaks through Moses and, said, and says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their people, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him, sounding like Messiah. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to his words, the words that the prophet speaks in my name. Now that was between 1,300 and 1,500 years before he, before he came. And so picture Mary. Here she is. It's been probably over 4,000 years that mankind has been looking for Messiah to come. It's been well over a millennium, maybe even a millennium and a half since the Jewish nation has been waiting for Messiah to come. And she's this girl in Nazareth up in the area of Galilee, waiting. 
And an angel appears to her and says, you're favored among women. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The seed that's to be born in you will be the Son of God. Wow. It's finally happening. It's finally coming. Yes, yes. And it'll be the same with with the second coming. Just as surely as he came the first time, he will come the second time. It's now virtually been 2,000 years. Okay, that's in the ballpark. That's, That's kind of where the expectations were for the first time. And the angels said to Jesus' followers, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go. He literally, physically left. He's literally, physically coming back. Now you watch, you wait. Some people say that Jesus and his followers expected it to be right away, expected it to be media, immediately. And there, there's a few scriptures that... Uh, that would tend to make you think that the time was short. If you, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to some of these. 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 52. Paul says this, Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. That's the nursery verse. Okay. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And then Paul, speaking to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, 15-18, says, According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will, will rise. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words for at least 2,000 years. And Jesus himself, over in Matthew 24, verse 34, said, Truly, a kind of cryptic thing. He said, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have happened. Uh, of course, the question, be, and so you, some people look at that and they go, well, Jesus expected it to happen right there. He's talking to these people, he's going, it's going to be in your lifetime. Well, not necessarily. If you look back at what he said, he talked about several things. He talked about their lifetime. He talked about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. He talked about the signs of the ends of time. That would be happening. So it could be any of those that that generation would not pass away. And when it came to Paul, Paul's perspective of the church, when he's, when he's saying we, he's not necessarily talking about his contemporaries. He's talking about the church. And his perspective of the church was not simply a, a, that it was a, a group that was open to every tribe and language and nation and tongue under heaven. He wasn't just looking at something that was open to both men and women. He wasn't just looking at something that was open to both young and old and rich and poor and all those strata. He was looking at something that was open to every generation and all of the generations to come. And he considered that to be a part of the we. Last year, the San Francisco Giants won the World Series. I don't know who won it this year. I wasn't paying any attention because the Giants weren't in it. And, and let, me, let me say, let me rephrase what I said. 
It's not that the San Francisco Giants won the World Series. We won the World Series. I've been a Giants fan since 1959. And, you know, I know they won it in 54, but I'm sorry. I wasn't, I wasn't on board then, even though I was alive. 59, I started getting on board. 1962, they broke my heart in the, in the, in the ninth inning of the seventh game of the World Series. Uh, the, the last, well, then we had that earthquake when they went and, and, the, and the A's swept them. And then, and then the last time that they went and played the Angels, they were winning by three runs in the eighth inning to win the World Series. They, they broke my heart again. And then last year, we won the World Series. And I, have, I, don't, I, make no, I didn't play any of those games, okay? In fact, I didn't see any of those games in person. But I have no problem saying to you that we won it because some of those people who were on that team are no longer on that team. They're not Giants anymore. I am. We won the World Series. It's that simple. And that's how Paul looks at the church. It's we. It, does, it doesn't matter if, if they're going to be coming, if it's, 2,000 years later that they come into the kingdom, the apostle Paul and my granddaughter Lucy are part of we because they're all in that church, that organization. And besides that, Jesus and all of the New Testament writers made it clear that no one knows the time. And in fact, it'll come like a thief. Peter even goes on to say, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires they will say where is this coming he promised ever since our ancestors died everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation that doesn't sound like somebody who's going it's going to happen in my lifetime sounds like somebody who's ready to be in for the for the long haul and when people come along and go it's been 2,000 years come on people wake up let's get over it Let's move on. He's not coming back. They are actually signs of his coming. It's what they actually are. What is being overlooked here is there's a dynamic in the waiting that is healthy and is strong. It may be another thousand years. It's hard for me to imagine that. I mean, at the rate... The world's going on a whole bunch of different levels. It's hard for me to imagine it being another thousand years, but it might. And you know what? If it's another hundred years, it might as well be another thousand as far as I'm concerned because I'm not going to be here for either one of those anyway. I probably won't be here for 150 years from now. It may be today. The sense of immediate expectancy should be foundational in our, in our walk as a, as a disciple. Jesus commanded us to watch. He didn't suggest it. He, he didn't say, you know, it might be a good idea if you thought about the second coming every, every now and then. I said, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Be ready. Be prepared. And so there's this dynamic of long-term, short-term. That's very healthy because if we go too much in one direction or the other, then we get unhealthy and out of whack real quick. If, 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 we're, if we're, you cannot maintain this pace of, it's, it might be today. Hey, he's, he's probably coming today. I think he's coming today. Do you think he's coming today? I thought about him coming today. Do you think he's coming today? You can't maintain that pace. When I was in high school, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was kind of on the track team. And I say I was kind of on the track team because I actually had transferred schools and without moving and 
didn't lie about it, so I really couldn't legally be on any of the teams. But I got the privilege of going out for football and being a tackling dummy, uh, and I got the privilege of the coach saying, I think you should go out for track in the spring, and that'll keep you in shape. Just what I wanted to do. So, you know, I go, I'm on the track team, and, and we go to our first track meet, and they haven't assigned me any. They haven't trained me for any particular events because I'm not on the team. But they decide that day that I should run the 440, which I think is the 400 meters now, but it's same distance. And I went, yeah, 440. Yeah, what, what do I do? Well, you run around the track one time. Piece of cake. Run around the track one time. Man, that looks... Look at, I mean, look at that. It's, it's just one time around the track. And so what I didn't understand is that the 440 has probably killed more people than any other event, and aside from the javelin maybe, I don't know, uh, and, and, and track and field. And so, you know, I get, I get out there to start the 440, and uh, the first 100 yards, I am burning it up. I am beating everybody. And I'm going, they need me on this team. <laughs> and when we get to the 200-yard mark, a 200-meter mark or whatever, people are passing me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, no. When I get to the 300 mark, I can't see anything anymore. <laughs> Vision is becoming blurry. And air is becoming scarce. And, and, you know, when I get to the 400-yard mark, i got another 40 yards to go. The only thing I remember is the very concerned look on one of the coach's faces as he was going along with me, you know, <laughs> trying to get to the finish line. And I'm going, ah, ah. You know, and then you go and you lay down on the ground and you go, I want to die. And it's kind of the same way in our Christian walk. You can't just go, I'm going to sprint this thing. You won't make it. You absolutely won't. On the, on the other hand, if you get it into your head, hey, it ain't going to happen. Not in my lifetime. You know, it, it's, it's way out there. You, know, you become complacent. You become lazy. You become dull in the spirit. And so God has, has done this perfect thing where he said it's imminent. I'm not going to tell you when it is, and so the enemy doesn't know. It's imminent. It can happen at any time. It may be another thousand years. It may be before you get to go have that lunch today. Anyway, when he comes, what, what, will, he, what will it mean? Now, things are, things are in a, a mess right now. Things, things are in a in a wreck right now. We're so used to politicians promising to do thus and such and if they are elected and, and they rarely, through, rarely follow through on it because either they've been disingenuous, they were just saying it to get elected or, or they don't have the power when they get there. Well, Jesus is not saying I will do thus and such if you elect me. <laughs> he's coming. And when he's coming, he will do thus and such. Because he's truthful. There's nothing disingenuous about him. And not only that, he has the power. He doesn't have to deal with, with uh, 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 what is that thing called? Congress. He doesn't, he, doesn't have to, he doesn't have to deal with filibusters. He doesn't have to deal with, with uh, popularity. He doesn't have to deal with tax revenues. He just does it. Because he has the power. And these are the things, these are the things according to Isaiah, 
that he'll do. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Jesus is not coming to fix things. Jesus is not coming to take that broken thing and put it back together. Jesus is coming to wash it away and replace it with something absolutely positively brand new. That's, that is what he is coming to do. And what are the former things that need to be washed away? The pain, the sorrow that lingers inside you in the dark places that seeps into your soul and becomes toxic in all of your relationships and even in your very relationship with life things that you should enjoy you don't enjoy anymore those are some of the things that will be washed away when I came to the Lord as, a, as an adult there was a lot of mess in my life and actually I didn't realize that it was all mess you know some of it I was looking at and go man I, boy, I don't know about this coming to the Lord thing I kind of like that or you know I really really enjoyed doing that or I really want that and when I came to the Lord, there were some things that just went poof. They were gone. They were just gone. Now, there were other things that kind of hung on and, you know, I guess, I guess to teach me battle, to teach me warfare, you know, and, and I'm still learning to be a warrior about those. But there were some, and I wish he had just taken it all and gone poof. I wish he had just taken it all, all, all of the, the sin nature, all of the all of the wrongful desires, all of, all of those things that, that mess with your life, I wish you had just picked them all up and, and sent them packing where I, I didn't think about them or want them anymore. He's going to. The former things will not be remembered anymore. We can rejoice in what he creates new. Sound of weeping and crying will be heard no more. You know, we are so accustomed to sorrow that it's really hard to even conceive of that. It's really hard to even conceive that. You know, it's, it's almost like, well, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're never sad, how do you know when you're happy? If you, if you, if you, never, if you never cry, if you've never gone through any, anything rough, then, you know, how can you experience the know that you're experiencing the other side of the scale that's the way it is in a fallen world but in the new world that's coming weeping and crying be no more be heard no more i don't think anybody's going to hang around you know in the new world and go hey man you remember when i used to cry about stuff Boy, that felt so good. Yeah, boy, I just remember, I just remember feeling so bad. I just wasn't crying my eyes out. Wish I could do that again. Not going to be that way. Almost impossible to conceive, but not going to be that way. Never again will there be an infant that lives but a few days, or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. Okay, let me just say 
I don't know how all the pieces fit. Uh, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, I thought, don't we like go to heaven and it's eternal life? Yeah. And, but I, I think there might be some people on earth. Or How does all this work? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, and, and nobody else does either. Okay, it's like a four-year-old uh, trying to teach Shakespeare. You know, you, you might understand a word here or there, and there might even be a sentence that makes sense at some places, but you, you, we're trapped down here in this little three-dimensional, finite, sinful world, and, and we don't know necessarily how this works. But this, this, this sounds pretty good. You know, I, I, I got a feeling, I kind of think, that maybe those who have gone on before, or those who are in the Lord already, yeah, probably are like New Jerusalem and, and eternal life, and then there's people on earth and they're dealing with this, and maybe after they die. I don't know. I don't know. Okay? But let me tell you about this. Let me just talk about this for a second. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days. Mm. Uh, I went into the ministry in September. I went into ministry as a vocation uh, in September 1982. I'd been in the ministry for quite a while, but I started making my living that way then. And uh, in September of 1982, early September, uh, by late September, uh, Brother Moore came to me, our pastor, and he said, uh, we've had somebody call in. They need a funeral done. I'm not going to be able to go that day, and you need to take it. And so I, I said, sure, I'll, I'll take it. Gave me the address. I went to visit them. It was a baby. It was, it was a, I mean, it was a child just a couple months old. And I didn't, I didn't even know these people. That was the first, first funeral that I did. And uh, God helped me. And he did. He did. What, what a sad thing. I've done several of those since then. It's a, it's a shattering thing when it happens. Or an old man who does not live out his years. My dad died at 92, and that seems like a pretty good age, although according to this, he'd be accursed. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that, that's after he comes back. But, but my dad was 92, and, and he was in reasonably good health. With emphasis on the word reasonably. Because the way it is right now, when you reach a certain age... Your idea of your definition of what good health is tends to change a little bit as you as you begin to move on up that ladder. That's not the way that's going to be anymore. What I hear that saying is when it says live out his out his years. I, I mean, I'm talking about you know I don't know 200, 300, 400. You talk about a crafty pitcher. Somebody's been doing this for a few centuries. Yeah, I'm talking about, you know, that guy being out there, he's chopping wood and he's, you know, running 440s and, and doing stuff other than staying home and trying to keep warm. You know, get the engine running to keep warm. I'm talking about, I, I believe this is talking about a full life for the, for, the, for the whole life. That would happen when Christ returns. Like the days before the flood, I guess, you know. I mean, do you know that Adam actually was still alive when Noah's dad was 50? And he would have probably made it to see Noah if, uh, if Methuselah and, uh, and, and Noah's dad, uh, Lamech, had not 
you know, spent almost two centuries sowing their wild oats before they started having kids, you know, if they had started having them at a reasonable age, like a hundred or something, you know, he, he, would have, he would have made it to see Noah. But, uh, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards, eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. I love trees. I plant, we, we plant trees Every, every place we move, we plant trees. And uh, the second house we lived in, uh, the first house already had trees, big trees. The second one uh, was over on Amelie Drive in Nashville, and it didn't have any trees. We planted trees. And every now and then, if I'm in that neighborhood, I'll turn down Amelie, and I'll drive by there to look at those trees. And every time I go by, you know, the, the yard looks smaller, the house looks smaller, the trees look bigger. They, they just keep going. And when we lived on Avery Valley Drive, we planted trees. And when we first got there, it was, uh, it, it was like a desert, man. I mean, the sun would beat down in the summertime and just cook that place. And now it's got this luxuriant shade just all over. We did that. We did that. Yeah. We, we're not enjoying them, but we did it. Uh, so, you know, where we are now, we've we got trees and stuff. But you know what I really think when I look at this? When I read that passage, what I see is people who possess and enjoy things rather than things possessing and using them. Because I believe that that's really the kind of situation we currently have. I remember several years ago sharing with a guy and he was talking about the problems he and his wife were having and, and he and finally came down to the fact that part of the problem was the fact that they lived in what he called a thing dome. Just filled with things. Just filled with stuff, stuff that you got to take care of, stuff that you got to put up, stuff that you got to find a place for. You know, it's using you. This is saying the day will come when all that will be cleaned out. It'll be a healthy situation where you'll actually use and enjoy the things that you have. And he goes on to say that my chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be a people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. I hope that you do work that satisfies. What a great blessing. What a great blessing to get to do that. You know what? It can be anything. You know, I'm a pastor and you'd think, okay, yeah, that's got to be satisfying. Some days it is. Some days it's a little frustrating. Uh, and some days it's downright disgusting but we won't talk about those days uh but you know what i'd really like to do and, and i and i'm you know I, I i do i am very satisfied in the work that god's called me to but what i really love doing is and i'm no good at it but i love woodworking i mean i i, I love to you know saw some something up power tools i love power tools <laughs> saw something up and nail something together and and it's there it, you can see it. It's like my mom used to love um, um, wallpapering, and she was terrible at it, but she loved it. And she wallpapered every, every room in the house. And, you know, and, and, if there was, and if there was a big bubble there, she would just kind of, you know, and, and there'd still be a big bubble there. And that's the way I wallpaper, so I don't do it because Margaret knows how she... But anyway, and, 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 if, and if there was a little piece that needed to fit, she'd just cut it out and stick it up there. And then she'd say, oh, how does that look? Isn't that great? And I'd go, 
remembering, I'm remembering, honor your father and mother. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and same way with me, you know, I build something. You know, and people come in and go, oh, that looks so good. And I go, yeah, thank, thank you, I built that. But you know what? It doesn't look anything like remotely close to something that Joel actually built. But that's okay, I, I enjoy it. Forrest Gump loved to cut grass. And, <laughs> and, and you, you know, you can do that. And, and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you work in a, in a restaurant or something, but you know what? Maybe you enjoy dealing with people. I hope that you do. If you work on cars, I hope that you enjoy working on cars. And you know what? If you don't enjoy what you're doing, then stop working for the people you're working for and start working for God. Because you can go to that same job, you can go to that same job and you can go, you know what? I'm not a clerk, I'm a missionary. I just happen to be called here. You know, I, I'm not, I, I, I've got a, I'm out of time. Uh, oh yeah, I like this one. Before they call, I will answer them. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Have you ever, is any, have any of you ever tried to call like the Social Security Administration and talk to a person? Have you ever tried to call AT&T and try and talk to a person? <laughs> Can you get an audience with the President of the United States? No. President works. Let me just tell you, that's, that's like a 20-hour-a-day job. And that's part of the reason why you can't get an audience with them. You know? But... When the king comes, it does. See, you can't get an audience with these people because you're not important enough to them. But you're so important to him that when he comes, when this changes in the new system, in the, in the, in the new order, before you call, I mean, and it won't be his assistant either. It's the king. He's there. I mean, there won't be any, any picking up the phone and getting a, a, for God the Father, press one, for Jesus the Son, press, you know. No, he's there. He is there, listening to what you have to say. Oh, the wolf and the lamb will feed together, famous verse. They will neither harm nor destroy in all my holy mountains, says the Lord. He would be tough on crime, but there won't be any for him to be tough on. And imagine, I mean, what we think of as crime really is, is, is mild stuff compared to what many people in this world live with day by day by day in terms of the violence and in terms of the, of, of, of the abuse and the fear that they have to live in. But imagine, imagine living in a place where every man, woman, and child can, can walk down any place whether it be the woods or the middle of the city, at any time of the day or night, with no fear. No fear. You don't have to think, well, we better not put anything on Facebook about our vacation because the, the thieves will know we're gone. Won't be any thieves. We, we, we have to lock the door, get the security system. Won't be any. They will not harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. Well, why doesn't he do it now? It's a very simple reason. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish. 
but everyone to come to repentance. See, we think we're being patient. No, it's the other way around. He's being patient with us. Don't you, don't, you know, if I, if I see my children being hurt, that's hard. And don't you know that as he looks at this world and sees the violence and the evil and the wickedness and the innocent being oppressed and, and, and crushed, don't you know that that fatherly thing inside of him wants to go, all right, I, I, I got to sort it out now. He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Are you, are you saying that when everybody gets saved, or, or I don't know, I'm saying this. You know, I, I can't explain to you exactly what it means in minutia, but I know what, what it feels like in here to read that. Let me teach you a word. We'll end with this. A lot of you already know this word. Paul uses it in, in uh, Thessalonians. The word is maranatha. And it's not an English word, but if you can say marinara, then I think you can say Maranatha as well. And the word literally means, come, O Lord. And when you're, when you're in your day, when you're, when you're praying, or, or when you're not praying, when you're mad, when you're upset, when you're mad about some political something, Maranatha, let's just get rid of the political and get a king. When you're mad about some economic something, you know, mad at the bank or something, Maranatha, let's, let's, let's just get rid of that. We need, we need you to come, Lord Jesus. When you're, when you're upset about something that's happening in a relationship in your life, Maranatha. That's, that's a prayer that the church has prayed for centuries. And over in the scripture, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come, we are the bride. And I got a feeling that while he's being patient with us, there's also going to be a, a certain crescendo that is finally reached of come, come, come. When he goes, yeah, it's time for me to go. Let's do it. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to minister to people, our elders and their wives and the staff, would they come forward? And if you're here, I love this. I love this time of year. I love this season. I love you people. I love being around you. I love going to all these things with you. Uh, it's just, I love it. But I know it's a very, very difficult time for some people. And... What you need prayer for may have nothing to do with the season. It just may be with what the season in your life happens to be. But if you're here and you need prayer, if you're here and you need prayer, uh, you come forward. Uh, maybe you don't know Christ. We'd love to introduce you to Christ. Maybe, uh, maybe you need wisdom and clarity in a situation. God, God's Word says He'll provide that. Maybe you need a a relationship healed I mean if he if he was able to restore the relationship between an entire fallen world and God then 
He can restore a husband and wife. He can restore a parent and child. Maybe you have a physical need. He's a healer. He's a healer. By his stripes, we're healed. So we're going to offer that opportunity for you to be prayed for. We're also going to worship. So do one of the two. Either worship or come and be prayed for. people this week uh, Star Bethlehem on Wednesday night Christmas Carol Friday and Saturday you can even invite somebody to church who knows what's the worst they could do raise your hand let me give you a blessing and the God and Father of our Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ who sent his son into the world to redeem us and who will send his son again to redeem all of creation. May the Maranatha of the body of Christ rise in your spirit this week. 
may you remember to call out to him. And before you cry, may he already hear what you have to say. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.